Attention landowners, the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP, is now open. CRP is a great opportunity for those hard-to-farm acres. It also helps improve a farm's profitability, delivers high-quality wildlife habitat, cleaner water, and healthier soils. The CRP sign-up is going on right now through March 11th. Find a local Pheasants Forever biologist at pheasantsforever.org CRP or visit your local USDA service center. Farm the best, CRP the rest. Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Beggars can't be choosers. Waste not, want not. It ain't pretty, but I'll take it. And every other little idiom that I say when I come across a crusty old broken down chalk shed while I'm out shed hunting. And those were the things I was saying to myself tonight when I did a quick little after work uh, run through some property that I got some permission on. And uh, I found one found number four for the season you get to hear about the other three at the beginning of this episode and i should warn you right now when we are in the middle of shed season that's kind of all that my brain jumps to so i talk about it excessively i know i have a problem okay i know it there it's out okay i know i know exactly what you're thinking as you hear me talking about sheds yet again but uh no, I'm, I'm pumped for this time of year. It's one of my most favorite times of the year to get out in the woods and uh, just see what the deer have been up to all winter. And, of course, look for that fistful of Iowa ivory, as I like to call it. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty nerdy for sheds. But uh, we'll, we'll definitely hit that tonight in the conversation, as you can imagine. But we're also going to hit a few other things. We're going to hit a really good piece of listener feedback, which is a good reminder to all of you listeners. Please interact with us. Please send us those messages. We want to hear your thoughts. Maybe, uh, maybe they're uh, things you don't necessarily agree with us on. Maybe they're things you want to pat us on the back for. Whatever it is, all good, all fair. Send it our way. Love to hear it. And uh, love to interact with you guys because that's why we do this podcast. We do it for you. We want it to be entertaining, but most importantly, we want it to be educational. And we want it to promote good conversation about hunting. The other things we're going to talk about. We'll hear a story that I believe I later describe as hilariously disturbing. <laughs> oh man! And Alex brings up a great point when I when I mention that he's like, kind of like the uh, raccoon creamy urine thing. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it'd be kind of along those those lines. I have a penchant for those types of stories, so I'll be sharing another one on this episode. So uh, you'll have to listen around for that. But the main event tonight that we're going to hit is we're going to talk to Mr. Joshua Divin, the Pheasants Forever State Coordinator for my great state of Iowa. And he's going to talk to us about the upcoming deadline for CRP acre enrollment that is set to uh, close on the 11th of March. So you get to hear all about that from him as the main event in this episode and all the other regular nonsense that you can plan on hearing in a power hour of hunt therapy here on the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. 
I'm on the board, fellas. And by that, I mean I've scooped up my first shed of the year. Shed season 2022, and I have not one, not two, but three sheds already under the belt, and that started Mm. last night. Well, I shouldn't say I started looking last night, but I finally found some last night. And, uh, you know, I feel kind of – I feel kind of – I don't know, I guess, I don't want to say proud of myself because, dude, the, uh, a, a guy that I know who's an incredible shed hunter, talking to him as of last weekend, he had already scooped up 15 sheds. So wow. uh, <laughs> there's, there, yeah, there's, there's definitely plenty of people out there that are a whole lot better at it than I am. But I love shed hunting. Alex mm. jokes with me that it's my favorite thing to do. And uh, I don't think it it's... is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> yeah, he's right. He's right. He's right. I do. I, man, I was, you know, after you said that, I was just sitting there thinking, I'm like, is he right? Is Alex, is Alex right here? Do I like shed hunting more than I like actual deer hunting? And, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can say it, but I I, I think ju- you do. I just might like shed hunting more than I like deer hunting. <laughs> ah, okay, but yeah, I love it. You know, you get to get outside and check out all the deer. I think it's probably because of my science background. You know what I mean? Like I'm mm. over here observing the habitat and and uh, uh, looking at what deer behavior is different times of the year because i even enjoy like seeing the old sign from what was going on back in the fall the rubs and old trails and you know where you can see uh droppings that are probably three four maybe even five months old on the ground you know just where the deer were hanging out at that time i just i love all that you know and of course when you find sheds then you're where they're at this time of year and uh, that's pretty cool too so but yeah it was it was awesome there's a video on my instagram page and that is one of the best videos i've ever shot i let jonas pick up the the match set we found and it was i mean like i couldn't have you know i couldn't have scripted a a cute kid video for the gram any better (laughs) than what the, the performance he put on all by himself last night, you know, people would probably think, Oh, he's making his cute kid do do this to get him likes or whatever. But no, that was all, that was all, that was all Jonas. He's, he's a ham. And, uh, he was, he was having a blast. Mm. Uh, I gotta say top five moment in the outdoors when, mm. uh, we came across that, <laughs> that match last night and Jonas was so happy. And, uh, at the dinner table tonight, he's like, He's like, Dad, maybe we can go out this weekend and find the other, find the match to that other one you found last night. And so, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, how how awesome is that that you're able to? I mean, it's just another bonus of shed hunting. You know, is you know, my experience. Cool things happen when you're in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when you can incorporate kids like that. You know, I I never forget this year. You know, I took my son out hunting a couple times, and and we actually did see deer all but one time. But he was still very bored. <laughs> and, you know, he's, I'm trying to engage him and I'm trying to, all right, we're going to get out there a little closer to prime time. And, you know, and um, after the hunting season's over, he's like, Dad, I'm really excited for fishing season coming because it, it's a little easier to fish than it is to sit around in a deer stand. <laughs> and I thought, you know, hey, I get that, especially for a five year old. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's a little challenging. But then, I mean, you know, you're out in the woods. I mean, I remember, you know, growing up, not the, the fun, and and we didn't even we never shed hunt it growing up. This is something that honestly, honestly, hence got me into a little yes. bit more now. 
convert. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and now, you know, you're just even thinking back, you know, growing up, how many cool experiences I had literally just being out in the woods with my dad, you yeah. know? And so it's, it's honestly, it's, shed hunting is a great segue for kids to really get them into the outdoors, you know? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And it's something that, and not just kids, anybody who's mm-hmm. who's currently not engaged with the outdoors, shed hunting is such a good way to get them into it. Nothing has to die. Although, <laughs> although I will say this, <clears throat> this is what, when I said earlier that I was feeling kind of proud of myself. So I teach a, I teach a class at school at the end of the day on how to hunt every day. And uh, I've been talking to the kids about shed hunting, of course, because as Alex said, it's my favorite thing to do. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I told the kids, I was like, you know, I've walked enough miles this year that, um, I'm due to find, find a shed here the next time I go out or the time after like you, Mm. you, once you shed hunt enough, you just kind of learn like the little patterns of what starts to happen. And, Mm. and generally speaking, once you've walked about 10 miles, as long as you're not looking in stupid places, as long as you're, you're being smart about where you're looking. Once you've Mm. put in about 10 miles, the luck side of shed hunting narrows and you know, you're just, because you're in good habitat for that many miles, you're just odds, odds start to turn up in your favor that you're going to stumble across an antler. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I said that at like three o'clock yesterday afternoon. And by, I don't know, six o'clock, I had three antlers in my hand. And the other thing that I always say, I find usually about five dead deer Mm. for, for each shed that I find. I find five bone piles and I kid you not. I saw my fifth dead deer last night and, uh, we, we saw two last night. I I think I'd seen, it was either my fourth or my fifth. And I had said to myself, all right, I'm anytime now I'm going to find a shed. And it wasn't five minutes. And I stumbled across that match set. So it was kind of cool to, to just see like that confirmed, you know, like those are real measurements Mm-hmm. In some way, shape, or form, I can't explain it fully, but you know, just eventually the mathematical odds, whatever they are, of being in good deer habitat this time of year and what it takes to find a shed in this part of the world, you're gonna find them. And the really good guys, you know, I would say their their miles to shed average is probably like like around two miles. Every two miles oh. they're finding a shed probably. Mm-hmm. Your average shed hunter is probably about ten miles. Yeah. I think last year I was around maybe five miles a shed or something. So mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit better than average, but certainly not elite. But yeah, it's just kind of fun to look at all that. I'm a I'm a yeah. again, I'm a science guy, therefore a numbers guy, data guy, but but uh I like looking at all that stuff. But anyways, that was an awesome night last night. But that is not what we're here to talk about. As much as Alex knows, I could just keep flapping my gums about sheds all day long. All day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got to get to the main event tonight, and we will. And it's going to be discussed with us by the other person on the line, Mr. Joshua Divin of Pheasants Forever. And he is the state coordinator for the best state out of all 50 of them. 
even better than Delaware and Michigan. And that is the state of Iowa, where uh, we still get to enjoy some uh, wild pheasants to chase after here and uh, some some wild quail as well. So quail forever is a, a part of pheasants forever. But Joshua is going to give us an education on some of the points of the upcoming CRP enrollment deadline that's that's approaching. So people that want to get some acres into uh, that that conservation enrollment plan to better help wildlife. Now, of course, Josh is most concerned about pheasants and quail, but as we can talk about, we have talked about many times on here, I think of uh, Mr. Todd Bogenschutz, the state upland biologist. We talk about how so many other uh, wildlife, so many other species of wildlife benefit from preserving these acres so josh thank you so much for coming on the show tonight and for uh tolerating my banter and obsession about sheds no it's a it's a pleasure to to join you and uh alex and brandon and, and yeah the whole time you were talking about um shed hunting i was finding myself uh you know wondering you talk about 10 miles of walking per shed i was wondering how many how many uh, bluegill I could catch through the ice in uh, <laughs> that same amount of time. Uh, yeah. that's, that's my uh, that's my winter uh, hobby. But I do. I think every time I try to go shed hunting, I come up empty-handed. I only find sheds when I'm not looking for them. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Same here. Well, same I'll, here. Yep, yep, I'll, t- yep. I'll tell you what, Josh. I've I've only gotten to ice fish enough to where I know what I'm missing out on. And, um, I would like to do more, so I will trade you some, uh, shed hunting for some, uh, bluegills on ice sometime. If, uh, if you're willing to make that deal. <laughs> that sounds like a blast, but yeah, ice fishing, just to be warn you though, it's ice fishing is a, is a sickness. So uh, once it gets you, you're in trouble. <laughs> <That's a good laughs> another great, another money hole that I need to get dragged into. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a great hobby to have something that, you know, you can't eat sheds, but you sure can eat bluegill, but, um, it's uh probably, probably definitely a more worthy way of spending my time, but I can't help myself. I'm, I'm yeah. hopelessly addicted, but my, uh, uh, my labs would, my labs would disagree on the eating the sheds part. They, uh, uh so I, I do have to go out a few times a year and try and find some, some chew toys for them. Mm. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. There you go. Yep. Yep. There you go. Yeah, you know, I've never let my dogs chew on sheds because I'm deathly afraid that they'll then look at all my sheds that I have stationed around the house as like uh, possible chew toys, and so uh, <laughs> I can't I can't go that route. But but uh, I suppose if I was an ice fisherman instead of a shed hunter, I'd I'd be willing to take that risk. But, there you go. I I I think it's probably fair to say that I've got less sheds sitting around my house than you have. <laughs> well, I definitely, I definitely don't have a million of them, but, but like some people do, but, but, uh, I've got, I've got a, I've got a pretty good pile. That's, that's uh, pretty, pretty fun to look back at all the memories behind each one of them. But, you know, before we do close out our conversation on sheds, I do want to make a point here that, uh, uh, I've just over the last week, you know, when, whenever I get into shed season, uh, I get, like into this phase of being on aerial maps. I'm not kidding you guys 
maybe five times a day. And, uh, I do that during hunting season too, of course. And like when I'm, when I'm planning on where I'm going to be putting tree stands and I'll be doing that a lot here with, uh, uh, this hunt that Alex and I are going on soon, be looking at aerials, a lot of the unit where we're going to be hunting. Um, but shed season, I just pour over it and Spartan Forge, our title sponsor for this podcast has been such an incredible resource for that. The the map layers you'll you've heard me talk about that in our last episode with Kevin Murphy. The map layer features are just, uh, I mean, incredible. The the uh, detail of all the aerials great, and of course the landowner information is just phenomenal as well. And I use that to get permission from the landowner, where I've been seeing all these deer hanging out, and uh, I I went and knocked on his door granted me permission and of course you know then you just use it the whole time you're going to make sure you're staying on the right property and everything but all that those three sheds made possible by spartan forge absolutely without them uh i i don't think i would have been able to uh to have that permission so make sure you guys do check out spartan forge i thought that was a pretty cool little thing that uh i I told bill that i was going to lean hard on spartan forge this shed season and it's really paid off so far and of course you can use the deer behavior predictor for that as well figure out where the deer Mm -hmm. are this time of year are they free ranging are they staying to their core areas all that stuff and and uh that's gonna help you with finding sheds too so definitely a cool thing but we're now officially done talking about sheds. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, 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 something that I can't help myself on, but we do need to move on. Uh, you know, I saw an interesting post from you, Alex. All your posts are interesting. Sometimes they're of giant bull elk down in Arizona that mm-hmm. would make somebody feel quite jealous as they're uh, still sitting at work and uh, wanting to be doing what you were doing at that time. Sometimes they might be of, uh, of a musk ox that just got to you through the mail. Mm. Uh, but this post was of a service that I don't think we've really talked about much on here. Your gear rental service. Can you uh, mm-hmm. kind of give us a rundown on what people can expect from that if they decide to pull a trigger with you? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'll be uh, first to say it typically happens with just, you know, clients that are drawing tags or whatever the case is. But a lot of people just have so many questions on gear and gear is just a fun topic. My version of sheds is gear. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a gear nut. I will try out everything under the sun and rip apart every ounce of the good and the bad and the in-between. So I get a lot of questions about it. And, uh, depending on what people are looking at, it might be a better option for them to rent versus buy because they want to try it out and see if they like it. So, uh, I'll go as far as doing a rental for you know one product i'd say the more common are you know a sleeping pad a sleeping bag a mm. uh, set of binoculars something like that but uh if it's the right move i have done kits so and that you know post that i put on it, it's a full kit of pretty much all new gear because i have gear out there that's either getting rented at the same time or uh, I have multiple <laughs> rentals going out. So, uh, that, that lucky, uh, member is getting like 90% of their stuff is going to be brand new. Oh, nice. And 
the cool purchase part about it is, uh, you know, obviously I have to pay for it, but based on their gear rental, if they want to keep it afterwards, oh nice, uh, they can and oh. they can they can buy it from me, and I will subtract their rental payment from the retail amount, and then uh, they don't feel like they're out any money either. So it's a it's a good test drive. Let's put it that way. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that that is that is such an awesome service because the amount of gear that is needed to like really be well prepared for the for some of these hunts, it's pretty staggering. And to know exactly what you need and then to do all the shopping around for bargains on on making sure you're not gonna break the bank on buying the, all the stuff, that can be a pretty daunting task. And so I think it's a really awesome service that that you offer. I think it's a huge advantage. And uh, like you said, you know, you're getting good stuff too, because Alex doesn't buy stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a nice little perk there. So make sure if you're listening to this, you do give Alex a call and, and you take advantage of those different services that go along with him planning your hunts and applying for your tags and all that. But we do need to also now shift gears in our conversation. And I had two more uh, talking points to hit in this episode of Hunt Therapy. One is rather disturbing and hilarious. And uh, the other... I, I, in fact, you you, I have, you I have, you don't usually hear those together, hear those things together. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me just kind of wet the, the listening appetite of our, uh, of our audience here, but I have, I have it listed here as uh, I think Brandon's following along on the script with me right now. Mm-hmm. And I have it listed here. The talking point is titled the road to defecation and uh we'll uh, we'll talk about the road to defecation and uh, uh that's coming up it's an interesting story uh, a interesting trend that i've noticed uh that has to do with defecating on roads but anyways <laughs> Before. I guess at least it's not about raccoon urine like last time. <laughs> you know, I'd pretty well scrubbed that from my memory, Alex. Thank you very much. Brought it back for you. <laughs> I was just looking at that hide today. It's still uh, wired up there outside. It's a little warm today, so I'm a little scared to see what I'm going to find this spring when I get out to flush that thing out. But anyways, yeah, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> See, we're, you know, disturbing, but funny. Here we are again. But before we get to that talking point, we do need to actually talk about something kind of serious. We got some great listener feedback. I got a uh, a message from uh, Mr. Nate Dodson, who is a, a listener, a regular listener of the podcast, and uh, had some great interactions with Nate in the past. And uh, he really enjoyed our conversation around, if you think back a uh, couple episodes of Hunt Therapy, to uh, when we addressed the blow-up talking point that happened uh, on on uh, another podcast where someone oh, yeah. was basically saying, we need less hunters because hunting has become too crowded. And uh, we had this long, that honestly, guys, after going back and just listening to your points on that, that was, was such a good episode that really challenged how I, I think about things. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that was one of our, our better 
episodes where we yeah. just really dug deep into something and, and analyzed it and did a little soul searching even, I think, and, and, yeah. uh, you know, really kind of put together how, how, how do we view this? Well, Nate wrote in and he made two fantastic points and I asked him for his permission to share them on the podcast. Um, just, just because I felt like, yeah, these are, these are maybe some blind spots that we missed when we were, uh, when we were discussing and um, uh, what he said was, Hey, I love everything you guys said. I think it was, was spot on. And he said, I've listened to a whole bunch of other discussions that are kind of a, a, uh, you know, a rebuttal to what was said on that other podcast. And uh, he said, most of them, you know, are, are really good and they make great points. And he said, one thing, though, that I think is, I still haven't, he's at the time he sent this, he said, I still haven't seen it addressed is how does the number of gun owners in America factor into, um, into this argument? He said, hunters oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes equate, they equate to gun owners. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, one thing that, that I do want to be clear on, you know, I'm not looking ever on this podcast to start some kind of super touchy political powder keg or something like that. And he even said that he said, I, I, I know this is your podcast is a hunting podcast, not a second amendment podcast or, or, you know, even a gun podcast, which is true. It's not. You know, I like guns. I own guns. I, I think uh, uh, our Second Amendment is something worth worth protecting, worth fighting for. And uh, but but yeah, this is a hunting podcast. That's where our attention is directed. And and basically, he was saying that you know if th- those rights could be fairly easily within a couple of generations, as the political tides shift and the way we do modern America is ever changing, you know, that's something that we could lose. And then how are you going to do much hunting? Of course, you'd still have bows, maybe, you know, muzzleloaders or single shot shotguns or something like that might survive. But I think we could all agree that hunting could become quite limited if we lost our gun, you know, some of our gun ownership privileges that we get to enjoy here in our country. And having a, a mindset of trying to keep more folks involved with hunting specifically, not just the outdoors, but hunting where you are using guns that makes people the the public perception of firearms kind of shift from, you know, being this scary, dangerous thing to being a useful tool that puts food on people's tables, you Mm -hmm. know? And Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really great point that he made. Uh, Just, it it helps keep people having a balanced mindset. I mean, we we kind of argued that point from the hunting side too, right? You get more yeah. people involved in the hunting, now more people care about conservation issues because yeah. they're they're invested, right? And uh, he just basically looked at it from a different side of the coin and said, "Well, you're doing the same thing with guns too. You're showing people that." these can be used responsibly and for good things. And 
people will see that the vast majority of people using guns are using them for good things. And so I thought, yeah, I thought that was, that was, that was worth bringing up. Yeah. And, I love and, that. Any, Great feedback. Yeah. Any thoughts from, uh, from you guys on, on Nate's point there? Well, I think that this just goes back to, we can't let up an inch anywhere on anything because it would degrade from that. I think the other point and maybe, maybe a little different topic, but the amount of money that comes into conservation from gun owners yes, that might not that's even a great hunt point. That's a great point. It's huge. Uh, I was uh, reading two days ago that last year alone, $1.1 billion went into conservation just from gun sales alone. Mm. So that's a huge number, you know, just because one, I don't want to call it post COVID. We can call it COVID. You know, a lot of people got into the shooting sports. Mm -hmm. Others obviously got afraid of losing some benefits with certain parties involved and ran to get some more, but whatever the case is, all that money went into conservation, which directly connects to hunting. And I think that is important to uh, say as well. I think the other point that I do want to mention is a lot of anti-hunting groups will go after the fact that archery is not as ethical Mm. as guns Mm -hmm. and they will strip away on our gun rights and then they'll go after archery and they'll find a, a loophole for that. So there's just no opportunity here to let out any option and say it's okay to lose ground in any way, shape, or form because we screw ourselves. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's that's an excellent point, Josh. Do you know anybody that uh, bow hunts for pheasants? <laughs> uh, actually, it's funny you ask that. Um, yeah, one of my best friends, friends from college uh, has actually taken several roosters with a self-made longbow. Nice, which is which is a feat in of itself. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that is that is incredible. But I'm going to edit that out of the podcast because that doesn't support my point. So, no, I'm just, I'm just... <laughs> but he, he, he's the one and only that I know. That I know. So, yeah. far between. There, there we go. There. No, that is incredible. Well, now we know who we need to interview in the future. My goodness, no, that is that is a. Uh... That is incredible. But yeah, point point being is there are some forms of hunting that, yes, you have your outlier examples like uh, Josh's friend, but uh, there there are a lot of forms of hunting that really could not be done without firearms. And so I think Nate makes a an excellent point. And Alex just drove it home there with talking about, yeah, don't think that your archery tackle is is you know, safe from being attacked either down the road. So don't just say, well, no guns. That's fine. I'll just hunt with my bow. Well, maybe for a while. And then maybe you'll be hunting with nothing. So it, it, uh, it is, I know it's a slippery slope type of thing, but as I've, uh, uh, stated before on here, I think the slippery slope fallacy part of debate is a fallacy in of itself. I think the slippery slope exists and it is very slippery and we see it all the time. So, I, uh, I definitely, I definitely, uh, echo those points that, that you guys made, but the other thing Nate mentioned in this, and so here's the part that's kind of challenging to, uh, to me was he said, you know, and Alex, you kind of, you kind of talked about this too, with your experience hunting out West and, and Josh, I'm sure you could, 
you could uh, weigh on on this too is from a from a public access standpoint because I I know that that's a you know part of what what pheasants forever looks at is how do we how do we improve all aspects of hunting now of course working with working with um the private landowners is a huge part of part of the job but um uh we we do have an issue where our public hunting areas in some places can be quite crowded and nate Nate said, said in his statement to me, he said, you know, I, I, I think that we need more hunters. He he made that argument, um, you know, when he said what he did about more hunters being more gun owners, but what do we do about this problem where public hunting areas are becoming kind of congested and uh, people are stepping on each other's toes and it may be leading to some lost opportunities for folks. Um, what, what do we do about that? And he suggested something that I've been thinking about for a couple of years now that I think is an important attitude that we adopt as as people with access to private hunting land. And that is looking for a way that makes sense to share. And uh, he brought that up. He said, is there not a way that, that those of us fortunate enough to own acres where we can hunt and we can kind of call the shots and we can, we we can, uh, um, uh, you know, share more. He said, I'm not, I'm not arguing that the government needs to buy up more farmland or whatever and turn it into public access. He was, he said specifically, what, what can we do as from the private side of opening it up? So Brandon, I know that's something that you have done a lot of work with uh, through your hunt club in Delaware. Can you just kind of share your thoughts on Nate's point there? Yeah. Yeah, boy. I mean, it's really a passion of mine. I mean, that's, you know, boy, you know, we, we've talked about this many, many times, you know, how, you know, and, and this is true in life in general, you know, I, I think we can sometimes tend to want to hold things, you know, tight to the vest or man, I, I you know, I want to enjoy this. This is for me, this is for me. But when we open it up and, and we expand it to other people, not just with hunting, but in other parts of our lives, it really amplifies the, the excitement and the, the engagement and the fun. And, um, you know, I, I, we've, I've been running a hunting club out in Delaware for about, well, I think this past season was the sixth season and, um, man, it's just been so much fun. You know, we've, we've had, it's been, not only have we been able to just have good camaraderie and friendship, but we've been able to get quite a number of guys into it for their first time, been able to see many guys get their first deer. Hmm. And, and some of them, you know, even despite, you know, w- w- being blessed with some good ground to hunt on, you know, they had to hunt a you know, good number of times, put in a lot of effort. And, you know, it's really, it's really been a game changer for, you know, people being able to have an opportunity. And, and the, the, the cool thing about it has been too, I mean, you know, most, depending on where you're at in the country, I mean, finding a land lease is hard. I mean, it's really hard and it can be really expensive. And so mm. it's, it's kind of like who, you know, and it's very hard. I mean, anyone who's on social media forums or whatever, I mean, p- people are always, man, I'd love to find a lease. I can't find a lease. You know, yeah. I, I mean, it's, yep. it's, it's a really tough thing. 
So, you know, what we really decided to do was, man, you know, we're fronting a, a big cost with, you know, the, the land lease that we have. We have several hundred acres, but I mean, it's expensive. I mean, just, just to be honest, we spend uh, $6,000 for approximately 300 acres. Hmm. Um, that we hunt. I mean, that's, it's, it's expensive. Yeah. Uh, and so what we said is, man, we want to share it. We want to have a lot of fun with it. Um, and, and what's interesting too, is before we were doing that, we were having a lot of people hunt with us. Um, you know, but it wasn't in the capacity of being a club member, someone who is really involved and engaged. And what's interesting is people actually want that people, people don't, in my experience, people don't really want, Hey, I mean, you can hunt, you know, today, um, you know, maybe not tomorrow, just check with me, you right, know, right. man, oh, I really want to, I really want to contribute. Can I, you know, you know, can I get something or no, no, man, it's just, it's great. You know, come on. We, we, we love to have you. People actually like to have skin in the game. They like to be engaged with, they like to feel like they, they're, they're a part of it. You know, yeah. and it's like, it's like, you know, if you're part of that brotherhood, that whatever that is, you know, that's just, it really adds to the fun versus, just saying, hey, yeah, come on out anytime. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that side of things too. Um, but what we realized was, man, we can we can engage with people, we can mentor new hunters, um, and we can do it all within the confines of a hunting club, which which provides some protection with land insurance and you know company side of things, and and then you know we can share the cost. So it was a win win. So I mean, I you know my encouragement for anyone out there who has some access, you know, m- maybe you can't have you know, 50 guys, you know, that that's certainly understandable, but w- with what you can do, I mean, at the very least, try to make an effort to, to get someone new into hunting. I mean, what I've been trying to do over the last few years is every year or two, take on like a new, uh, a new mentee, you know, and, and mentor them for a couple years. And then, you know, it's interesting how you do that for a couple years and then they learn and they're kind of like, they're, you know, especially if they're really engaged in it, they're kind of all, you know, all running and, and they're enjoying it. And then, they check in with you and, you know, you continue to enjoy that friendship and they're learning. And so it really makes for great friendships. You know, you're able to share the cost. It's it's great for everyone involved. And I, that you really ideally then, you know, at some point, I'd love to see that replicated where, man, maybe someone comes into some land or someone's able to get a lease. They know someone they're willing, you know, and then, boy, maybe maybe they don't start an official hunting club, but they know another guy or young kid who really would love to get into hunting. Hey, come on out with me. I mean, that's wow. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate cycle that you'd love to see continue. So, I mean, it's, I, I can say from experience, I mean, it's, and I've, I've always had a dream to do it and it's been honestly a blessing from God to be able to do it. Um, boy, I, I, I don't regret it one bit and it's just been such, such a ball of fun. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you, 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 you rejoice with those who rejoice, you weep with those who weep. We all know how it is. Uh, you know, you, if you get a, if you get a deer and you're out there by yourself, not only do you got to drag it by yourself, you don't have anyone to celebrate with out there, you know, together. And if you miss one, man, you need someone to come, if you, you need someone to come next to you and say, Hey man, Hey, you know what, what can we learn next time you're going to get it, man. So, I mean, it's having that encouragement and, and that, and that comfort sometimes, <laughs> Man, you can't put a price tag on that. So would highly recommend and, and really love that feedback that he provided there with there there is a better way. And and it's strategic sharing and it's being willing to, you know, it's it's being willing to be okay with sharing it. And I think there's a lot of life lessons all wrapped up in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I like how you said that strategic sharing, because I think that is the way forward, you know. Um 
there I've had a couple guys ask to come hunt on uh, our farm here mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. live on. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, did give them, uh, permission, uh, but in a way that made sense for what my hunting goals were, you know, during, yes. during deer season. No, I don't want, I don't want somebody coming out here pheasant hunting or, or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Cause this farm is so finicky for keeping deer on it. But once I'm done with deer season and I've had a crack or two at it for pheasants and everyone that I wanted to introduce to pheasant hunting or whatever, I've gotten, gotten them a good chance at birds. Yeah. Let them come on out and, yeah. and come enjoy, you know, and, and, uh, find those ways to say yes. Instead of finding ways to say no, find ways to say yes, I think would be just a good way to, to sum it up. So, yeah, you know, the people knocking on my door to ask to go hunting is not the only unique thing that's been happening around here. Um, mm. I've, you know, <laughs> as I've become more experienced with, with deer hunting, you know, you start to learn how to pattern deer and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think hunting just kind of makes you more observant, yes. at, you know, as a person in general, you know, you start mm-hmm. to pick up on when things are out of place, you know, so to speak and, uh, look for trends and a trend that I have noticed this fall is that there is some kind of, I don't know if you'd say like sociopathic or maybe, maybe the term would be a, a serial public defecator that has been visiting the eastern end of the road that I live on. And I live out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I don't know what happened. Someone must stop in the middle of the night and it's the same exact spot. They just drop <laughs> they drop a loaf right in the middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's once a week, you know, finally, you know, the, the person who's not as observant, you know, they just drive over and it sticks to their tire and they drive off and then it's gone. <laughs> but, 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 uh, I know it's a person because there's like a mile of TP, you know, toilet paper, like blown in the wind right next to it. And it is right in the middle of the gravel road. And uh, it is, I mean, it is bizarre behavior. And it's like, you know, who among us is, is, uh, (laughs) who is doing this? And uh, so it got me thinking, you know, again, as a deer hunter, I have lots of trail cams and uh, I thought about trying to solve the, the, the mystery, you know, go a little Scooby-Doo on the situation and, and uh, see who the, uh, the uh, gravel road pooping bandit might be well there there is a benefit um if that individual's goal was to be mentioned on a podcast (laughs) that goal has now been realized (laughs) yeah maybe they're targeting me they knew i would see it (laughs) i i think if if any if you're out there if you're out there please reach out to kent we'd love to have you as a guest at some point no we don't (laughs) I really want to know what's going through your head. Oh, oh goodness. Oh, yeah, I might. Maybe I'll seek out a sponsorship with Charmin or something like that for uh, 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. hey, it's one it's one of the key things to bring out into the woods. So I mean, hey, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But yeah, so you know, do you think it's ethical if I were to go and the the nearest person's house is probably like a couple hundred yards from this. So maybe they're the target. Maybe they're the person that mm-hmm. someone's trying to mess with or something. Mm-hmm. But I did mm-hmm. notice too, you know, speaking of patterns. During the coldest couple of weeks, it stopped. Mm. So evidently, they had their limit. You know, they couldn't they couldn't uh, handle bearing their cheeks to the, you know, like twenty below wind chill or whatever. But um, do you think it would be unethical for me to put up a like a cell cam or something on a telephone pole and just try and catch them in the act? Oh, oh man. I think that's up to you if you actually want to see them taking a crap in the middle of the road. <laughs> well, you know, you know who I'd be forwarding those pictures to. <laughs> yeah, that's, all, that's, that's partly why I'm reasoning with you here. I don't know if I want to see that on my phone. <laughs> oh man! Oh. My. oh. Well, uh, you, yeah, you. I swear, yeah. you know how to take a turn for things. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, sorry, Josh, you didn't know what you were signing up for. But uh, well, when you when you were telling that story, I was I was wondering, you know, how close um, Alex and Brandon actually lived to you, and maybe maybe the culprit is already on the, is already on the show. <laughs> Now you know I know what? I would, I would love to take blame for that, but I am eight hours away. So. <laughs> <laughs> a good prank isn't worth eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Alex, Not a chance. Not Alex, that. we're we, uh, we're going to need to actually check a few alibis. Uh, <laughs> Please do. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was great, Josh. That was good stuff. I don't, I don't yeah. stray far from my house. <laughs> I'm either out right. far, far in the woods, or I'm at uh, you know a very close vicinity. I'm, I'm definitely not a I'm not a street goer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I just I thought I detect I just I thought I detected some concern. You mentioned that you had trail cam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was concerned exactly to Kent's point because it would end up in my cell phone inbox. <laughs> oh, man. That's oh. Good. No, Ken, you, could always, you could always put, uh, you know, I know you write some articles for a local magazine. You could always drop a, a magazine or two off in that area just in case there's some you know, needing for some reading, you know? <laughs> that's what I should do instead of the trail camera. Oh my God. So that they Why know they've been caught. I'll... With the <laughs> <laughs> some oh, free reading Honestly, material. Yeah. Oh, shoot. That is hilarious, man. It also is kind of creepy, though, because, you know, the person's probably a psychopath or something. But, uh, you guys now have a you now have a clue if uh, something ever happens to me. Uh, yes, <laughs> so like, we're going to follow the TP trail. <laughs> oh man, uh, that is uh, thank you, and that was enjoyable. That was well, good. well, hey, it's just a it's just something I've noticed, and like mm-hmm. I said, you know, it pays to be a hunter because I can tell you one thing: that log has never been stuck to my tire. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> if if you're on the fence about hunting, you know, it could save you big time uh, down the road, especially if you get a flat tire. But, oh, man. Well, well, talking about finding interesting things across the countryside, we need to get to the main event tonight, especially since uh, Josh has another uh, thing he's he's got to run off to here pretty quick. But, Josh, the CR 
the CRP enrollment window is open right now, right? Yeah. I love how the transition, we're just going straight from that story straight into oh, business yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was, right. that was a story about business. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, man. so the, uh, the, the general CRP sign-up um, was announced uh, at the end of January. So we are in an active uh, enrollment sign-up, and that's from January 31st until March 11th. Okay, so coming up pretty quick here. We got, we yep. uh, kind of have that that window shutting down. So, right in the thick of it, when this episode drops, if you're if you're considering that, uh, considering enrollment, now is the time. But we need to talk about that a little bit too. What is enrollment, and and you know what what is the way that somebody does get get signed up, and and. Uh, how do how do they go about that, right? And so, first of all, the CRP money is made available through the farm bill, correct? Yep, that is correct. And the farm bill, how how often? I don't know if there's a set timeline that every farm bill lasts, uh, but generally yeah, five five years. Okay, okay. So that is that is a hard hard set date on that yep okay. yeah so we're currently in the in the 2018 farm bill which will yeah expire in 2023 okay okay so so okay that's good information so then every year there is that window to re-enroll right or, or yeah so and, and there's a couple of different types of of crp and that's you know the conservation reserve program not to it's it's become kind of a dangerous thing uh, when I start talking about, uh, you know, conservation programs and, and habitat programs because there's so many acronyms. You can kind of get lost in the alphabet soup there. But uh, for those <laughs> folks who might not be familiar, is uh, yeah, CRP is you know one of the flagship conservation programs from of, of the Farm Bill, and there's a couple different types. So the general CRP is kind of a competitive bid. Uh, process where you know interested landowners would go to their USDA service center. Um, they would learn a little bit more about what enrollment might look like on on their farm, their property, and then they would you know designate the area that they wanted to uh, enroll in the program, and then they'd actually put in a bid. And then that bid, um, you know, once the sign up is all over, they roll all those up, and then they they rank them out essentially. Mm. And they fund as many as they they can, and there's a number of diff- different criteria that go into that. But you know, some of the most significant are going to be what the, what kind of cover type, you know, what what the habitat, what the vegetation is going to be on that enrollment area. That's one of the one of the factors that carries the most weight. So that's that's general CRP. And like you said, under this farm bill, we get landowners get one chance a year to try and um, extend participation in that program or to newly enroll in the program. But then we also have continue continuous CRP, which, you know, there's a number of different practices under that, like filter strips and um, uh, field borders. And there's a lot of wetland practices there. And those programs are actually open year round. Um, so it's continuous enrollment, like the name suggests. And it's not, 
you know, you don't have to compete um, against other folks. If your if your uh, farm meets the criteria, you can sign up at any time. But but the criteria for continuous is a little bit more specific uh, per property. So there's kind of two different things going on. Sure. Okay. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's really educational on that. So, so then after that enrollment window closes, if somebody was kind of on the fence or maybe they, maybe they just purchased a a farm kind of at the, you know, right before the deadline and, uh, they missed that window, they got to wait a whole year, right? Yeah. And CRP, you know, they're, you guys all, I won't unload the whole handbook on you here for, uh, eligibility and participation in, sure. in, in CRP. The manual is about three inches thick. Um, oh man. But there, there, there are some things like, you know, you need to have owned the farm for uh, 12 months prior to even oh, applying. Okay. So in your, in your mm-hmm. case, you're kind of, you're going to have to hold out till the next year. Um, sure. Anyway. But, but yeah, I mean, I think the takeaway message there is that, I mean, throughout this farm bill, we're going to have, you know, at least an opportunity for a general. And then, you know, there's, there are quite a few op- opportunities through continuous CRP for folks to look into looking ahead. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good to know. And it's good to know that there, there are rules that people got to keep in mind. You know, one rule I, I heard that I learned about several years ago, I thought that you could basically you know, I'd say, I think I learned this maybe three, three years ago. I thought you could basically say, oh yeah, I'm not using that ground over there. I know I'll uh, go and uh, enroll that into, to, uh, CRP lay aside acres or whatever, you know, but it has to be ground that's, that's currently in production, right. In, in some kind of, you know, money-making row crop production, right. Yep, you've got you got it right. So yeah, you need to have um, you know at least from the years 2012 to 2017, and th- those dates change as you're in different sign up periods. But with for 2012 to 2017, you have to have produced uh, a crop. Um, it has been planted to a commodity crop four out of six years. So yeah, there's okay. Like you said, there's there's some criteria um, in that it you know it is is working uh, cropland. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the idea is trying to take some of that land that, that, uh, has value to it, but also land that it we're using for other production and trying to bring it back out of production and back mm-hmm. in, I guess you could say production for wildlife, you know, is really what, yep. what you're doing. So no, that's, that's great. Um, so you, you talked about there a little bit. You're going to go show up to your USDA office and, and uh, they'll get you squared away and, and help inter- interpret that three inch rule book to you <laughs> and, and right. uh, get you, get you all, all uh, helped out there. But pheasants forever through uh, their farm bill biologist program, you guys also provide some counsel and, and, uh, you know, help interpreting those laws and designing, you know, a, a plan that matches what your would be best for your farm, right? Isn't isn't that kind of what your farm bill biologists do? Yeah, I mean, you you could have just about uh, written that down for a farm bill biologist job description, I can't. But <laughs> that's uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, the whole the whole premise is to just um, you know 
have our wildlife um, conservation experts. We know, you know, all the we have experience with all the federal, state, and local programs available. You know, right down to the county level, so that you know, as folks come in and want to learn, you know, about opportunities for you know, habitat or conservation, or you know, if they want to manage their farm for a particular wildlife species, you know, they get connected with one of our staff, and we. Uh, you know, take all that that programmatic information and and you know, develop this user friendly um, playbook, you know, if you will, and and help people, um, you know, understand what uh, their outcomes can be and and and, and uh, yeah, help them put a plan together. Hmm. Yeah, that's great resource. Another good reason to uh, support Pheasants Forever by becoming a member too is you're you're um, helping fund those types of services. And uh, that's where I really want to transition to another big point here within all of this. You're gaining access to conservation practices on private ground by supporting Pheasants Forever. And what I mean by that is a lot of times we just view conservation as, oh, what are we doing on all of our public land that we have? What are we doing over there at the wildlife management area? What are we doing at the, the, the refuge? What are we, you know, on and on we, that's where, that's where we always kind of think of, you know, who's supposed to be taking care of all this, but far more of America is, especially in States like Iowa is, uh, privately owned. Now I know out West, that's not necessarily the case. There are super huge, vast areas of, of publicly owned land. And even in up in new England, same deal, some of those national forests and stuff, but, but especially here in the Midwest, most ground is going to be privately owned. So can you kind of speak to, to the importance of, of influencing private acres? Oh yeah. I mean, you, you nailed it. Uh, you, as you think about, like you said, uh, from where I stand here tonight, talking to you guys is from uh, North Iowa, and you know we're Iowa as a state is sitting at ninety-seven percent, you know, privately owned. Mm. So we're mm-hmm. we're ranked we're ranked forty-seventh in public land. Mm. Um, you know, and this kind of goes back to the conversation that was had earlier about access and opportunity and, and limitations to uh, you know, I say current and new hunters mm-hmm. you know it's time and time again that has been identified uh, you know as that access component and, and in the state like Iowa too uh, with that much private land you can get uh, you know habitat itself uh, wildlife populations don't you know I think you mentioned you mentioned uh, uh, Spartan uh, was it Forge? Spartan Forge yep Spartan Forge yep you know whether it's Spartan Forge or Onyx I mean wildlife don't have those apps right right um, yep so they don't they don't know where uh, property lines are, uh, what private land is, and you know they they require you know habitat um, mm-hmm. across private land to you know have populations that are healthy and robust, so that you know, guys like us and sportsmen and women can get out and then, you know pursue them and enjoy them. So, private lands conservation is you know critically important in the Midwest, and that's why you know a piece of legislation like the Farm Bill. So critically important um, to you know to all all those stakeholders because that that's the vehicle for delivering habitat um, on on private lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very well said. Yeah, for sure. So 
you know, if you, maybe you yourself already have what you can enroll enrolled, or maybe you're in the process of building up that, that uh, four out of six years of production standpoint, so you can enroll more acres or whatever. But if you got a neighbor that, you know, could qualify, that would be a good way to, you know, make hunting better on your own ground by making it better on their ground. You know, a lot of times people complain about that. You know, let's go back to the example of Brandon's hunting lease. They got that 300 acres and they can turn that 300 acres into a real slice of heaven. But, uh, if your next door neighbor is shooting off cannons, right, Brandon? Or, that uh, is true. <laughs> <laughs> true story there. <laughs> or, or, or uh, you know, uh, clear cutting and, and telling up more grassland and everything. Well, now your 300 uh, uh, acre slice of heaven has turned into a 300 acre uh, island of habitat in a sea of poor habitat. And so a good way to influence your neighbors into better practices is telling them about the great things that they can monetarily benefit from by enrolling in the CRP uh, program. So, yeah. Um, any uh, unique things landowners need to keep in mind before they enroll, Josh? Oh, I, you know, we touched on a few of the things, but um, I probably just encourage folks, you know, if they're, if you own a property or like you said, or if you, you know, have a relationship with someone that owns a property and, and there's an interest in, in wildlife or you know, wildlife habitat for that matter, uh, and you're, you know, I, I'd recommend folks go in and, and connect with, you know, the USDA service center staff. And like I said, we've got uh, a couple hundred buyout field staff, biologists all across the, the country. And we certainly have a whole host of, of partners that also help deliver conservation on private land, but just do a little homework. You know, there's a bunch of information online, ask some questions. Uh, Cause what I find, you know, I guess time and time again, as I interact with people is that, they just, you know, are kind of blown away by how many, you know, opportunities and, and options that they have available to them. And they just hadn't, hadn't thought to ask until, you know, something triggered them at some point, but they're, uh, in lots of cases, there's not a shortage of options. And, and there's also, you know, staff, staff resources to help them, you know, kind of understand of the, the right path forward. Hmm. Yeah, very well said. Well, there you got it, folks. If you yeah. uh, if you need to get enrolled in this, you need to get enrolled in it, <laughs> and you need yeah. to you need to talk to pheasants forever because you know they're gonna they're not just gonna be able to interpret the rule book to you. They're gonna be able to interpret it from a hunting standpoint, which I think is incredibly valuable. You know, it's kind of like we've heard on here before, uh, guys who are into to filming for hunting um i think of brian rusk a guy who's done a lot of filming through uh, bowhunter magazine some of their uh their uh tv production stuff video production stuff um he talked about just you know being able to be in in the tree as a cameraman with hunting experience is a big advantage for the guy who's holding the bow. Well, it's the same, same principle applies when it comes to, you know, doing to, to getting federal funding for your hunting acres. You want a hunter who is uh, going to be the one, or at least somebody that understands hunting 
they're going to be the one helping call the shots. And it's going to be beneficial for more than just pheasants, more than just quail. It's going to be better for deer. It's going to be better for waterfowl and turkeys and everything else that we get to enjoy here uh, uh, on our, you know, in this great country. Yeah. And spe- specifically here in the Midwest where uh, uh, Josh is talking to us from tonight. So, well, Josh. We thank you a ton for coming on the show and uh, so glad that our uh, mutual friend, uh, Bob, was able to uh, get us connected and uh, work this out. And um, I've said it many times before with all of our Pheasants Forever guests that we've had on the show, I, I can't believe in a conservation advocacy organization more than I do Pheasants Forever and uh, greatly appreciate all your hard work. Um at a national level, of course, but also uh, here at the state level where I get to enjoy the pheasants. And hopefully uh, next season, Alex and Brandon will get to enjoy pheasants yes, along so. with me. Yes. There we go. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a pleasure, guys. Thanks for the invite. I was glad I was able to join you. Uh, the, the, the conversation was incredibly amusing on my end as well. So I know it never ended up. I'm going to have to go back and listen to some of your guys' previous podcasts for sure. Oh, well, Hey, we appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, one last thing real quick, Josh, uh, isn't pheasant fest coming up here pretty quick out in Omaha. Oh yeah. That little, that little, uh, thing called pheasant fest with, uh, uh, 30,000 people showing up to, <laughs> you know, talk all things. Uh, upland hunting and yeah no it is it's uh it's in omaha it is uh, march 11th uh to the 13th so if you guys anybody listening doesn't have that on the radar uh you definitely should it, it's a pretty amazing event um and don't go there i mean you're going to be tempted by Beautiful shotguns, cute puppies, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I heard Alex talking about a lot of neat gear. There's no shortage of, of uh, some pretty impressive gear there as well, so it's, it's, it's a great time. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Josh. And uh, thank you to Brandon and Alex as well. Be sure you go and check out their respective sites. Alex, of course, at alexgruen.com, a partner with this here fine podcast where you hear all sorts of random, <laughs> crazy, <laughs> disturbingly <laughs> hilarious things. And uh, you don't forget that promo code of First Gen 10 to tell them that you heard about him here on this podcast, save you 10%. And um, be sure you also go visit our favorite Delawarean, Brandon, thehuntfishlife.com. Get on their social media pages and enjoy that wonderful side of the hunting community. Get yourself a Pheasants Forever membership. Get your acres enrolled. Go to Pheasant Fest. And while you're sitting in the car, bumping along Interstate 80 on your way to Omaha, Make sure you guys are doing the old thumb scroll on your phone to make the miles go by faster. Unless you're like me, then you're just looking out the window for sheds the whole time. Uh, you can. Uh, <laughs> I, sad thing is, I do it while I'm driving too. It gets a little <laughs> hairy sometimes. But uh, <laughs> but uh, make sure you uh, not not on my phone. I, I'm looking for sheds. Not on my phone. I don't I don't I don't get on my phone while I'm driving. But. Uh, um, get, get over to firstgenhunter.com and you can check out all those previous episodes of this podcast and all the articles I have up there until next time folks take care and take someone 
hunting. Attention landowners, the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP, is now open. CRP is a great opportunity for those hard-to-farm acres. It also helps improve a farm's profitability, delivers high-quality wildlife habitat, cleaner water, and healthier soils. The CRP sign-up is going on right now through March 11th. Find a local Quail Forever biologist at quailforever.org CRP or visit your local USDA service center. Farm the best, CRP the rest.